Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. I want to bring in those people who maybe have decided like they can't take it anymore. And so they've just tuned it out. Like I want them back. I want them to realize that it's important. I want them to realize it can also be fun. And I also want to do it in a smart enough and important enough way that members of Congress who are the smartest and best thinkers and, you know, uh, politicians, quite frankly, the most, the people that are running the toughest elections also are paying attention. Welcome to Our Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch. And this is the podcast that recognizes one, one premise, that everybody and everything today is a brand. Every person, every celebrity, every product, every company, everything today is a brand. And uh, what we do on the show is two things. First, we have our big interview with a, a personal brand about their own personal brand. Today, it's Casey Hunt. Casey, you know her from MSNBC, and now she's moved over to CNN+. Plus. She's got her own show there every day daily at 4 o'clock. She's one of the smartest people around. We're going to talk politics with her and current events and, and her life. And but we also do what we call Brands of the Week, where we go to the brands, see who's up and down, who's driving the zeitgeist. And let's get right to our Brands of the Week. First up, big brand down for Joe Biden. Um, this is very sobering news. Quinnipiac poll came out and said he's at a 33% approval rating. That's maybe a little bit of an outlier, but certainly really, really, really bad news. But the real bad news is underneath it. When you look at three numbers, specifically Hispanic voters at 24% approval rating, black voters, he's lost 20 points. And the scariest of all is voters 18 to 34 years old. He's at a 21% approval rating. That's frightening. You are not winning anything as a Democrat without those coalitions, and particularly the young people. If you're not getting 18 to 34-year-olds, you're, you're just not winning any elections. It's that simple. So really, really um, some tough news for Joe Biden, brand down. But also brand down for the Republicans, uh, not necessarily as far as what happens in the electoral process, but just as Republicans in general. This is going to blow your mind. A new Republic poll out has asked the question, New Republic magazine asked the question, was January 6th an act of insurrection or an act of patriotism? 57% of Republicans, almost 60% of Republicans said it's an act of patriotism. They've watched that footage over and over again. They've seen the atrocity of, of these maniacs storming and defecating the Capitol. And they think it's an act of patriotism. More than half, 57%. Uh, we've lost our way, man. Certainly 57% of Republicans have. It's really frightening stuff. Brand up for Krispy Kreme donuts. Krispy Kreme is doing uh, a really smart thing, what I call topical marketing. And it's when you can plug into what's going on in the world, you make a real connection with consumers. What they've come out and said is, look, for the foreseeable future, during inflation, during these very inflated gas price times, times of inflated gas prices, we are going to um, 
pegged the price of our donuts to the price of gas. The average price of a, a box of 10 or 12 donuts is usually t- 10 bucks. The average price of a gas this week in this country was $4.11. So they're going to be charging $4.11, basically 60% off their donuts. And that's the way you connect with consumers. And I think that's a really, really, really smart thing. So brand up for Krispy Kreme. Brand up for Barbie. Um, there's a... This is not brand new news. It's a Barbie, a live action Barbie movie is in the makings. And uh, it's going to be starring Margot Robbie as, as Barbie, Ryan Gosling as Ken. Can't do better than that. Will Farrell has joined the cast. And it's supposedly very tongue in cheek. And supposedly the premise of it is Barbie was thrown out of the toy world because she was not as perfect as she's supposed to be. And she goes into the real world and hijinks ensue, I guess, as they say. But it's just so smart. What Mattel's doing is taking the Marvel playbook. Marvel used to be a comic book punk, they realized, comic book company. They realized their assets were Spider-Man, et cetera, et cetera. And let's turn them into movies. And that's what, that's what Mattel's doing. They're going to be doing it with American Girl. They're going to be doing it with Max Steel, with Hot Wheels. It's a Hot Wheels movie. Take these brands that we knew that we grew up with and turn them into movies that have to have an appeal to adults also. That's the key. Lego did it really right. The Lego movie obviously was for kids who like Legos, but there was so many inside jokes. It was a great adult movie also. Brand down for beef jerky. Uh, This is really about inflation. Beef jerky sales are way, way, way down. And the reason they're down basically is is, is the ultimate impulse item. 83% of beef jerkies are bought in convenience stores. No surprise there. And the first thing to go in inflationary times is impulse items. Okay, I'm going to get a few gallons of gas and, oh, maybe I'll get a Slim Jim beef jerky. Nope, I'll save that extra money. So beef jerky sales way down is a real indicator. We are deeply in the throes of inflation. No surprises there. We're coming off of Easter. Brand up for Peeps. There were 3 billion candy sales over this past weekend for Easter. It's the busiest time for candy. And Peeps had 22% of them. They beat jelly beans by 21%. They beat Cadbury eggs 14%. Brand, huge brand down for NFTs. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh, I, you know, for those of you who don't, don't really know what it is, in the most simplistic term, it's buying something digitally. So instead of buying a piece of art that hangs on your wall, you're buying a piece of art that's been digitally created or a piece of anything that's digitally created. It could be, you could buy a sports NFT, which would be uh, the, the, the video, Tom, the first, the first home video that Tom Brady took of him, of him being of playing football, and you actually own the video. Now, anybody else can have it, but you own technically the original. So it's this whole thing. For instance, last year, uh, a tweet, Jack Dorsey's first tweet, owning that actual tweet, fetched two point nine million dollars. Well, they just put it up for auction last week, and it's fetched fourteen thousand dollars. So there's a lot of crash and burn going on in F and T's. People got to be really careful there. There was a super hype, uh, but there's certain 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 crashing going on that you've got to be careful about. Brand, I'm not going to call it a brand up. I'm going to call it a brand sideways for Charlie Rose. Um, can't give him a brand up with, with, with the sexual allegations that were made against him. It cost him his job and his career at, at CBS and PBS. And what's interesting, the reason I bring him up and put him brand neutral is that he sat down and did a big interview with Warren Buffett. He interviewed Warren Buffett. And it was on his own website. But the fact that Buffett, you know, who's many people godlike, sat down with him, does, does it introduce the concept that do some of these... Uh, people who've been Me Too'd have second acts. I don't believe Charlie Rose does in any kind of, you know, uh, cable news or, or broadcast news. But it starts to say in the continuum, obviously the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, these beasts belong in the cages that they stay. But someone like Al Franken should have a second chance. Uh, there is a continuum. I mean, Matt Damon came out and said, look, in, in the guise of sexual misconduct or sexual harassment, there are degrees, just like in everything else, just like in any, any crime, there's degrees. So I'd be interested. I just saw this thing with Charlie Rose, and it was interesting. Is 
are, as time goes on, are any of the people who are on the less severe continuum, and I don't want to take any crap from this because there is a continuum of things like Al Franken, who there was a picture of bad taste of him on an airplane uh, doing something kind of lewd, but very different than some of the other things. So it'll be interesting to see as time goes on if there is uh, any of these, um, what, I'll, what I'll call second chances for people who've been canceled. Brand down for turning off your Zoom. This, if, you, if you're somebody who's on Zoom, turning off your camera on Zoom. Brand down for turning off your camera on Zoom. A lot of people do that. They're in meetings. They don't want to, maybe they're sitting in their underwear. They don't want to be seen. Well, understand this stat that in, in, in a poll, 92% of employers said if you're not on camera on your Zoom, it does not bode well for your career at this company. And I, I couldn't agree more. By the way, I'm a, I've talked a lot on the show about I believe people belong back at work. But certainly if you're on Zoom, keep your camera on. It's not going to be good for your career otherwise. Huge brand down from Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, we could do this every week for her. She actually posted a deficit over the first three months in her fundraising. Additionally, revising contribution totals down by more than $100,000. About, get this, half of the losses represented in fees to Donald Trump's top January 6th attorney and a security detailer protected Carl Rittenhouse during his trial last year. So she's in the negative column. That's where she belongs. I still can't believe she's a congressman. Brand down gubernatorial candidate Charles Herbster, this is, of course, who Trump is supporting in Nebraska. Um, seven others, a GOP in Nebraska state senator and seven other women have accused this Trump-endorsed Republican gubernatorial candidate of groping them. Trump has called Herbster, who considers himself a born-again Christian, a tremendous supporter of America First. There you go. Uh, it sounds like it makes sense that Trump would be supporting somebody that's been accused by seven women, including a state senator, of groping them. So a brand down there. Brand up for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, former chief of staff, Donald Trump, Mick Mulvaney, seems to think The Rock may be cooking up a lot more than he's letting on to. He thinks he could be a serious presidential candidate in 2024. Back in, 16, I think it was 16 or 20, he did a bit on Saturday Night Live with, with uh, Tom Hanks where they came out pretending they were running for president, vice president. But why not, Dwayne? I mean, but he'd win. I mean, it's like you got a superhero running. I mean, the most likable guy. You know, one of the reasons that Trump won right off the bat, he had such a name recognition. But you take a Dwayne Johnson, people are ready. Like, we're ready for something different with Trump. And I think the challenge that is going to be going forward for political candidates, everybody thought that Biden was the perfect antidote. People want boring, but I don't think they want boring. I, I, I would have thought that that's exactly what you want after, but they want some kind of show, and who better to give it than Dwayne Johnson? Brand up for the New York Public Library. They're making banned books available for free. In response to more than the 1,500 books challenged to be removed from libraries in last year, New York Public Library launched an effort to make some banned books available for everyone for free. Initiative is called Books for All and allows any reader age 13 and older to access commonly banned books through the library's app until May. So there you until the end of May. There you go. By the way, 1,500 books have been banned across the country. It's amazing. Brand up again for Elon Musk. He's in the, in, in his, as we well documented on the show, and obviously you've heard other places, his bid for Twitter. But why I give him brand up here is, is that he's got more online buzz than Rihanna or Britney Spears. And think about we've gotten to a place where a businessman as rock star, for lack of a better term, I mean, some people would think he's an evil rock star, but rock star has more online buzz than Rihanna or Britney Spears. So it kind of just shows how these mega, multi-billion, trillion-dollar business people becoming major, major celebrities. Brand up for wind power. Uh, wind power overtook coal and nuclear for the first time since March 29th. I mean, on for the first time on March 29th, um, it was the number two source of power generated in the U.S. for the first time ever, surpassing coal and nuclear power. Um, of course, gas is still first. 
but it's they're, they're gaining on natural gas. But so when, so Trump's whole theory about that wind energy is not good because it kills birds, I, I think that's out out out, out the door. A brand up from one of my childhood's uh, heroes, Tom Seaver. They unveiled the statue at uh, at City Field for the New York Mets uh, fans for Tom Seaver. Gotta love Tom Seaver and gotta love the statue for Tom Seaver. Brand up for Shaq and Papa John's. Shaq, Papa John's agreed to a $5.6 million renewal deal. Um, it also pays O'Neill a spokesman and a board member for Papa John's since 2019, a royalty fee for Shaqaroni pizza sales that kicks in if those sales exceed his annual pay. Shaqaroni pizza is basically a eight-piece pizza with extra pepperoni and extra cheese, and you get a Shaq attack if, if, if you eat it. Uh, Brand up for Larry David. They're bringing back uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm for a 12th season. Can't get enough of Larry David. And uh, I don't think that's a big surprise there, but it, this guy just keeps going. He's the Energizer Bunny and, you know, uh, the show just keeps getting better and better. And also a brand up for Julian Lennon. He had never sung the song Imagine. Of course, Julian Lennon is uh, John Lennon's uh, uh, son. Uh, and he sang Imagine for the first time in support of Ukraine. He would never sing Imagine. He, as a matter of fact, said... Um, uh, he goes, I would, he, he said in the past, the only time I'd ever consider singing Imagine would it be if it was the end of the world. He said, but the Ukraine is an unimaginable tragedy. And as a human and as an artist, I felt compelled to respond the most significant way I could. His cover was in support of Stand Up Free for Ukraine fundraising effort. An event in Warsaw on Saturday in support of the fundraiser raised 10 billion in pledges for Ukrainian refugees, of which there are more than four and a half million. Brand down for economic peace of mind for Americans. One quarter of Americans said they felt financially stressed all the time, all the time last year, according to CNBC. Another 41% said they feel financially stressed sometimes. And 33% said they rarely or never financially stressed in the last year. Interesting. Here's something that's interesting. They're brand up for something called Be Real. It's Gen Z's new favorite app. It's a social app that's skyrocketed in recent months. And it's got the attention of Gen Z because it's a little, it takes out some of the nastiness of, uh, typical kind of more social media of something like TikTok or Instagram, which lets people curate and show their perfect selves. This basically allows shows to show what they're doing in real time. You only have two minutes to go back and respond to somebody so you don't have time to put on your best outfit and things like that. So it's kind of interesting. Brand now for Kmart. Kmart is down to three stores. They've closed all of their stores. They used to have over 2,000 stores. Now they're down to three in Westwood, New Jersey, Bridgehampton in New York's Long Island, and Miami, Florida. There you go. Brand up for weddings. Weddings are booming again. Uh, weddings are up. Uh, they're up over 30% from last year. We're expected to host two and a half million weddings. No surprise coming out of the pandemic that people are making weddings, but it's a very, very, very good thing. And finally, psychedelic mushrooms. They say they might be good for depression. New research continues to find evidence that psilocybin, the active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms, can uniquely help people with depression. Um, so go out and take your mushrooms if you're not feeling very good. And those are our brands of the week. And here's my interview with the great Casey Hunt. I want to welcome today's guest. Um, I think she's terrific. She's got uh, a new, I don't know, I guess we call it a streaming show, an event uh, called The Source on CNN Plus, the new streaming service that debuted a couple of weeks ago to much fanfare. Uh, Casey, previously, obviously, MSNBC, host of KCDC, host of Way Too Early, uh, congressional uh, on the hill person about town. Uh, <laughs> and Casey, congratulations. Thanks for being on the show. No, thanks, Donnie. It's, it's great to be back with you. I miss seeing you every day or, or on the regular anyway in the Joe studio. Yeah. So the, talk to me about, first of all, I love the look of the show. It's really, really cool. 
Talk to me about Thank the source and, and what, how are you approaching it any differently? You know, it's just, it's such a discussion as far as streaming and are people going to watch their news streaming and, and, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Give me your, and obviously it took a lot of thought for you to leave MSNBC. You were an important person over there and it was a big, big jump. Talk to me about what kind of went into moving over there. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it was, it was both a tough and easy decision, I guess, when it came down to it. But um, in terms of, of the show and streaming, I think that it's obvious to everybody that ultimately this is where we're going. This is where the industry is moving to. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's funny. I, I did make this leap myself. I'm actually in the camp that, you know, I don't think linear is going to go away tomorrow. That's mm -hmm. still where most people are watching their news and where a lot of things are breaking and, and unfolding. And the fact that I get to do both at CNN is, was part of my decision too. But I think what really got me about um, making the switch was that I had the opportunity to do a show the way I wanted to do it from the ground up. And that includes the format and the way we approach things, um, you know, what we, what we are able to do, but also what we don't have to do. You know, we don't have to break in with, you know, the press conference from the latest, you know, weather event or, you know, uh, we get to pick exactly what we want to put on TV, uh, exactly when and how we want to do it. And it's really for an audience that, you know, we're still learning a lot about the audience because we're obviously brand new, but people don't tend to watch streaming uh, in a live kind of way necessarily. I yeah. mean, we do do breaking news reports and, and uh, another piece of my job is actually to, to front breaking news um, as it happens for the C CNN streaming service. So we'll see some live viewers for that. But, you know, I think our sense early on anyway is that people are really watching it on, on a time delay. So that gives me a chance to basically do exactly the kind of show I want without regard to what else is happening in the world at any particular given moment. Cause I know my viewers are coming there cause they want to, they want to watch me. And this was a chance for me to kind of, you know, branch out on my own. NBC had been such a great home for me for a long time. I had, you know, great opportunities to be a reporter and, you know, I was really, I, I loved being part of the morning Joe family, especially and Joe and Mika in particular were huge champions of mine. And yes, they so obviously well. have built something, amazing in Morning Joe. And, and, you know, frankly, I miss being part of Morning Joe every day. Yeah. But this was a chance for me to get to do my thing on my own um, for the first time. And, you know, that that really appealed to me. And, and it was pretty clear CNN was willing to commit the resources that were necessary to do something like this. And that meant a lot to me too. So it's a blank piece of paper. And I got to believe it's a um, challenge or a challenge slash opportunity to, on the one hand, you're in the news business, so people are watching right. news, they want, especially, it's not like on a weekend where people kick back a little bit and they're, you know, so how do you say to yourself, okay, is this an, is this somebody who's going to put this next door to their linear viewing? Are they going to replace the news? They, they still want their news. So on a given day, okay, today, you know, Boris Johnson went, yesterday went, went to Kiev and this and that. Like, so if I, I tune on the source, am I getting day and date? Am I getting a combination? Talk to me, just give me the little programming capsule of what I'm getting. Yeah, you're getting you're getting politics for people who are plugged in um, and want to know the inside story of not just what is happening, but why it's happening. And it's designed to be accessible to people who aren't in the business, so to speak, but it's also designed to be something that ideally is essential and important for people who do practice it every day. I mean, when I get up in the morning, you know, Mika always used to say to me, she would point at the Capitol building and say, your audience, they're in there. It's those people in there. And the viewers will come with you when you're um, 
talking to them and doing the kind of work that they feel like they need to consume on a day-to-day basis that they want to consume. And I try to keep that in my mind whenever we're putting the show together. You know, I know who my audience is. I mean, on the one hand, I want to expand and be accessible to people who want to be citizens, who want to, you know, live in a world that isn't, you know, our politics have been pretty nasty for the last four or five years. Right. And, you know, I don't, approach it that way. It's not like my personality. It's not what I love about doing this job. You know, I want to bring in those people who maybe have decided like they can't take it anymore. And so they've just tuned it out. Like I want them back. I want them to realize that it's important. I want them to realize it can also be fun. And I also want to do it in a smart enough and important enough way that members of Congress who are the smartest and best thinkers and, you know, uh, politicians, quite frankly, the most, the people that are running the toughest elections also are paying attention. So it's a place where, you know, you can come to hear from those kinds of people that where, you know, you're going to find out like every, like we're going to do every grain of the presidential race is going to be on the source, right? Um, So if I tune in today, if I tune in at four o'clock today, I can go to Nicole, I can go to Tapper on CNN. Yeah. So what am I getting? I'm trying to understand, like this is now my producer hat on. I'm trying to understand. (laughs) No, really, because someday I might might end up over there with my buddy Chris Licht. Um, So- Love it. it. I love that plan. So- I'm trying to understand how I would program differently. You've got to bring you got to bring something new to the table. As you yes. said, it's not you're not just mm-hmm. doing straight news. So, so as you approach today, and this this will air in a couple of weeks, but just we could use today as an example. Okay. What would I? Why would I go there versus traditional linear or wherever or Fox wherever I go? It doesn't matter. Talk, talk to me. And this is not as even as much as I want you to kind of talk to me about the vision of streaming and also the source itself in terms of okay. the different yeah, yeah. approach. So today, um, over the weekend, uh, over this past weekend, as you and I are sitting here talking today, uh, Donald Trump endorsed Dr. Oz in yeah. the Pennsylvania Senate that race. Was, that, was a, that was a shocker. That was, that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I, I love well, his logic. Well, you know, it's kind of you're on TV. You're po- it's like a poll. You're popular if you're on TV. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Must be. Must be. Yeah. You're right. right. Everybody knows who you are. Right. Um, so we're basically, we're basically going to do a deep dive into the Pennsylvania race. Take a look at where that stands what that means in the context of Pennsylvania and who's going to be the next senator from Pennsylvania, but also what it tells us about Trump, what it tells us about how our politics have changed, the fact that, you know, all politics, it seems now is national, not local. Um, so we're going to bring in um, a couple of, of key people. I mean, in an ideal world, I'd like to talk to one of the candidates. So we're going to like work on getting one of the candidates. Um, if that doesn't happen, then I want the reporters that have interviewed the candidates most recently. I want the top CNN person to talk to you about this, I want to I want to talk to Charlie Dent, who's going to come on and explain like what is the landscape in Pennsylvania, what is the electorate yeah. there, what does that mean for the race itself, what does it mean, what does it say about Trump, what are the fights that are going on behind the scenes that people need to understand to figure out you know why Donald Trump did this, whether or not it matters at all, and what that tells us about what's going on now and what's going to happen next, right? So I get to do that. So that that would be a six day. minute that would be a six minute block on Jabe's show, and on your show, there's going to be a much more of a deep dive on it. Yeah. I mean, look, the show that we're doing is only about 20 minutes long because there's no commercials, right? right? So it's like we do one, maybe two topics in a okay. really smart, really thorough way. And that way, you know, it, nothing gets short shrift. We don't have to, you know, we're not, we're not covering the latest headlines out of Kiev and what is the Russian yeah. military doing. Yeah. Um, you know, we can and we do in the context of like if Joe Biden is getting hammered in ads here at home by Republican candidates, like you're going to see us talking about Ukraine. Um, so if I was going to sell, so if I was going to market the show for you, I would say you're getting your news all day. When you want the deepest dive on the most important stories, this is where you go. Yeah, the most important politics stories. Yeah, you want to know what's going on in American politics uh, in a smart, 
deeply explored way, like you come to us. What I find most interesting about the Pennsylvania race is actually the Democratic side in that you've got Fetterman who is, it's interesting, obviously, his everywhere he lands is very much on the progressive side, yet he's selling himself as a populist. I think he's one of the first guys that understands the word progressive is not a really good word and the Democrats need to move away from it. Yeah, no, actually, I think he's what I think he's the most interesting figure uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate race right now. And I do think it's going to be interesting whether he pulls off that populist, like if he actually is able to brand himself as a populist and, yeah. and move away from the progressive label, because, you know, Democrats, I think, in Pennsylvania had, you know, had made a calculation that they were going to try to run with Connor Lamb, who had, you know, won an election in the Pittsburgh suburbs. Sure. Um, by being kind of a conservative Democrat, sort of a traditional candidate. Frankly, there's one on the Republican side, too, and the guy that Trump didn't endorse, David sure. Cormick. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this race is shaping up to be potentially, I mean, Fetterman has a bit of a national profile as a progressive um, and has, and that profile, I think, has got his name ID much higher than anybody really expected in the race. Um, and it's really interesting to see how well he's doing uh, against Lamb in that primary. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I think you can do that dance you, t- you touched on earlier just the the uh, it's, you've never seen it like this in terms of in, in the capital as far as the two sides. We saw it with no, Kanji Brown awful. here. I mean, the fact that other than Mitt Romney, none of these people could just applaud. Just the con- wherever you stand, just the concept of that we have an African American woman on the Supreme Court. Just that's a very American thing. That's what it's called moving forward. And did, did you this did this start before Trump or was Trump really the kind of the the, the I don't want to say the final straw, but the the a real elixir that just made any type of bipartisanship just so déclassé, so and not vogue, if you will. And almost you're you're if you're seen shaking hands with the other side, you're you're that's going to come back to haunt you. I think it was starting before Trump, but I think what Trump did was make it explicitly okay and even uh, celebrated. I think before you know, you used to see when people would run you know generic polls or Pew, you know the gold standard of, yeah. of polling generally would go out there in the field and ask what people want to see from their representatives. I mean, bipartisanship was pretty high up there, um, and increasingly it's just not. And you know, this is it, it started. I think it got very aggressive on the Republican side first, but I think you're seeing Democrats watch what happened with Republicans and start to say, look, like why are we not using some of these tactics? Like why are we? Why is you know? President Biden elevating working with Republicans. I mean, I think that that lesson is actually, you know, that's a lot of the rumbling you're hearing on the on the left right now is is looking at Biden's attempts to win over Joe Manchin and saying, look, there's another there's more proof that this you know strategy is BS that it's not going to work for us either. And so um, I think increasingly it's it's just impossible to be seen working with the other side. And and you know for for me, I mean, I do campaigns, but I also did the Hill. Um, covered the Hill. And there's a lot of shit in Washington that needs to get done that requires people from both sides of the aisle to actually cooperate. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, things people don't even see. I mean, like the defense budget or, you know, major projects that, that are going on in people's districts. Is huge. I mean, they're spending tons of money on stuff that people are just not paying attention to. I mean, that stuff gets lost in, in, the, in the mess as well. You mentioned Biden, and I asked this of Jim Clyburn last week, and I call him a very unsticky president in that if I was selling Biden, I could give you a lot of reasons why he should be 50-52 in the approval polls. I mean, he, I don't think you could ask for a better job in Ukraine the way he's brought that coalition together. I, I, don't, I don't think he could be any more presidential than he's done. You know, job unemployment is at 3.6%, down 0.6.1%. We're creating more jobs than ever. Yes, there's inflation. But I, the good news doesn't stick to him for some reason. I mean, he's at, he's at 40. He's really at, at Trump's lowest numbers, 55% underwater. 
I have a theory, and I'd love your thoughts on that, why none of the good stuff ever sticks to this guy. Oh, well, I'm fascinated to hear your thoughts. I think some of it is just that people are pissed off, and when good stuff happens, it doesn't seem to stick around long enough to make a meaningful impact for them. Um, and, you know, people, I, I, I think that if you talk to Biden's people behind the scenes, you know, they will very reluctantly acknowledge that, you know, they have their biggest potential problem with voters is a perception that Joe Biden is relatively weak. Um, you know, obviously Republicans like to exploit that in lots of different ways, um, including focusing on his health. Um, but, you know, to a certain extent, they know that they've got a problem with voters on that front. And I think that's what the thing that makes it difficult for people to give him credit for things that they want credit for and easy to blame him for the things that they're unhappy about. Yeah, I, I, the Democrats' fears is, is my theory, is that it, he just doesn't come across with mojo. You know, you saw it last week when Obama was there. You know, you see Obama, you just you saw the contrast. And I'm not being ageist. He comes across old. He, does, he doesn't come across strong uh, in, the, in the visceral physical sense. Not fair. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is reasonable, but that's the, that's the, to me, the thing that hurts him the most. I don't know what you do about that. It's just the, the messenger himself, it, it, because as far as the message, I, there's strong stuff out there. And it just, I do think it's that physical age, not coming across as strong and in charge and testosterone. I don't even mean, mean in the, in the, uh, gender sense of testosterone, just in terms of just that that quality of strength. And there's nothing about Joe Biden, right, that's shocking ever. We got we spent four years with a president who did hugely shocking things on a regular basis to the point where, you know, by at the end of four years of covering his presidency, I mean, I know all the reporters in Washington were absolutely exhausted. I think a lot of people in the country were exhausted. And so this guy who came across as like a pretty like, stayed, returned to normal, seemed great. You know, then all of a sudden you're confronted with these massive challenges and you're also, you know, you've got a hangover from the last guy and nothing really wakes you up anymore. You're, you're stuck it with an inability to, to kind of shake things up at all. I mean, they're governing, the Biden administration's governing in a pretty normal way. Yeah. And that's actually pretty boring. It was pretty boring before Trump. It's pretty boring after I Trump. I had said, it was interesting, I was wrong because I had said America wants boring. And they, you know, that the very, the very attribute when Trump that, was in the office. Yeah, office. and now that he's gone, it's not necessarily that they <laughs> yeah. want Trump back, but we want a little action. Speaking of Trump, um, I'm curious what you're getting from the Hill as far as I'm sensing, regardless of what polls show that he's obviously still in control of the party, I'm just sensing cracks in a lot of different ways, ranging from when he gets out there, he just, it seems like a stale old act at this point. There, there, there's nothing new there. You saw Chris Sununu, you know, a guy who's got 70% approval rating at the gridiron dinner last, make, making jokes about how crazy he is. And if he went into an institution, he wouldn't come out. And although that's kidding around, that that's that a governor feels comfortable enough doing that. Uh, you see Trump social with a real failure there. You, you get the sense DeSantis is not going to go away and just wait his turn. I'm curious your thoughts about, are you seeing cracks and do you think he runs again? So I don't think Trumpism is going away, the brand of politics Agreed. that he brought Agreed. to the Republican Agreed. Party. But I think that people kind of forget, you know, Trump lost. Yeah. By a lot. He lost twice. Speaking. He lost twice. <laughs> like, and he lost in the midterms in a, in a big way. And his candidates lost. Yeah. Yes. Right. But then, like, he himself, when his name was on the ballot, he lost. Yeah. And a lot of Republicans did better than he did. I mean, Susan Collins in Maine is a good example. So, you know, I think people are not necessarily in love with the Democratic Party, but they're pretty over Trump. Now that said, the thing that that 
runs counter to kind of, you know, when I look at all the evidence that piles up where he's making these endorsements and some of them are seem to be fine or be for the right person and others seem really far out there. Um, he still raises tons of money, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to the point where all the Republican committees are using his name to raise funds, to raise money for other people. Um, there are a lot of consultants out there. I think people that used to work for him, if you, if you speak to um, grumbling Republicans who don't like him privately, they will say that there's a lot of people out there that want to make money off of Trump, Republican right. consultants and others who want to be in that orbit, um, who are using Trump's name to sell their services, et cetera. So I guess the short answer is, I, I think he's a faded version of the guy that won in 2016. And I don't, I have trouble conceiving of a world where you, you, where he repeats what he did that yeah. year. I mean, if you think about, you know, why there was so much attention paid to him the first time he ran for president for real, it was just such a shock and such a surprise. It was like right. impossible to look away. Yeah. And that ca- that quality is gone. Gone. No. Like what's left is anger. Right? Anger. Plus, people he who lost, are pissed. He lost, and that was before January 6th. So now he that lost. That was before January And he's 6th. got January 6th yes. stain on his brand also, So which, which yeah. is a big deal. I mean, and I think, you know, my sense of, where Republicans who have to grapple with Trump and how they approach Trump, the ones that are, you know, still in the arena, either still holding office or running for office, like they can get away with doing things that are different than what Trump did. They can even get away with kind of obliquely criticizing what he did. They just can't mention his name. Like they can't get on the, on his bad like, side. Like the guy in Virginia. I mean, he kind of, yeah. he showed a little bit of a, two, a dance two-step in terms of, I'm not going to put him down. I'm not going to, I'm not a Trumper. Like right. I'll, I'll, you know, you know, you know, oblique way, kisses ring, you know, but not enough that it sticks on me. And just, you know, he's, we, you know, well, yeah, we all love un- the uncle over there, the crazy uncle in the corner, And but let's do some business now, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, I think that, I think you're absolutely right. Do you see a day where, it, I agree with you, the Trumpism is alive, but that Trump is, is, is to use your word, is certainly faded, that all of these candidates on the right, that are tripping over themselves to out-Trump each other, whether it's, you know, uh, J.D. Vance in Ohio. I mean, you know, they're just running ads. No, I'm, I'm more Trump than the other guy. Is the, is the ticket for a primary win, but starts to be a losing, we've seen this before, a losing general election strategy. And that whole thing in a national election starts to force the issue that candidates can't just stamp themselves with Trump. Yeah, you're going to win the primary that way, but you're not going to win a general election that way. I think, yes, I think that's, that, it's this it's the it's this phenomenon that we've seen over and over again mostly on the republican side but you know it happens sometimes on the democratic side too but i mean mitch mcconnell's been worried about, worried about this problem for you know decades now i mean he lost the senate um you know his shot to take the senate back in or lost the senate itself i'm, I'm trying to think exactly what year it was but they nominated a series of candidates who were just fringe this was before trump so there was like todd aiken in missouri there was yeah. richard Murdoch in indiana i'm i'm dropping names that probably a lot of your listeners don't know, but basically they were candidates that were way too far to the right to be able to win a general election. And I think that's going to be the risk with these with these Trump candidates. Now, the, the weird X factor is that, you know, Trump likes people for the most part that he's heard of before, yeah. right? And so that leads to, to um, situations that are potentially problematic, like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. You know, most Republicans in Washington don't think Dr. Oz is the right person to be the next senator from Pennsylvania. They don't think he can win. Mm-hmm. Um, but Donald Trump watched him on Oprah, right? Knows him. Um, you know, you've got Eric Greitens in Missouri, whose wife is out there saying that 
you know, he hurt her and their children. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell doesn't think Trump should endorse him so far. Trump hasn't, but he's been sort of threatening to. Uh, he's the guy that Trump knows, you know, so he his sense of like who to pick and why is completely different um, even than than like what we would normally consider the electorate on the right in these states. You know, like the in some ways there's the right, you know, the conservative right. Then there's the MAGA crowd. In some states, they're the same. In some states, they're not. Yeah. In some states, the MAGA folks are split. I mean, it's just a huge mess. Um, and without Trump on the ballot clarifying things, I, I think that like that just is a recipe for the Republican Party to nominate candidates that, that can't pass the, t- the, yeah. the test in, in the general election. We're six months away from the midterms. Uh, clearly, it looks like the uh, Republicans will take Congress back. Any Casey Hunt handicapping on the Senate? <laughs> uh, look, I think the Senate's going to be very, very close. I think I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility we, we continue in a 50-50 Senate. I, I do think that it's really going to depend in some cases, on who Republicans select. Yeah. I, I, and this is where the candidate endorsements are really going to matter. I mean, they don't really matter so much in House races. Like, they can give you a sense, maybe, of, like, how Donald Trump's, you know, power waxes and wanes or whatever. But House races are going to be dictated by the the environment um, in the general election. Senate races, not so much. Although they can be pushed. You know, we saw this in 2014 when Obama was very unpopular there were a lot of Democrats who just didn't know how to talk about the president or interact with him. And like Biden's approval numbers are so bad that um, that's a real possibility for them, too. So that's why Republicans picking candidates that are more like with the environment than with Trump is so important, because if they just pick people that are perceived to be generic Republicans, that generic Republican is much more likely to win that election than perhaps the Trump Republican, because if Democrats can successfully tag those candidates as Trump candidates. Yeah then you're going to get Democrats that are out there to vote because they're afraid. You're going to get other Republicans or kind of like, or, you know, independent voters who are mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't, you know, I, I don't love the Democrats right now, but I sure as hell don't want that guy who's with Donald Trump. Um, you know, that's going to make it easier. And, and Mitch McConnell knows that. So I, right now, I think on balance, it's more likely than not that McConnell's majority leader next year mm-hmm. than Schumer. But I, I think it's still too close at this point to know this many months out and without having a good understanding of who's going to win those primaries. So let's shift personal a little bit. You've, you had a kind of a life-changing year this past year. You were diagnosed with a benign brain tumor. This was about six months ago. Um, mm-hmm. Talk, take me to the, the you, you had been getting headaches for a while. Uh, you thought it was your pregnancy from your son, Mars. And talk to me about finding out and, and just pick it up from there. Yeah, not, I mean, it's honestly, I've had kind of a roller coaster year. Um, it has not been the most fun. I mean, I, so I started getting headaches about a year ago now and migraines one in my family. So at first I figured that's just what it was. Um, but they were so bad that I was having trouble working. And so I went to see a neurologist and um, the neurologist said, yeah, we think, you know, these symptoms are consistent with migraine. Let's just do a a baseline MRI. I do with all my new patients. Um, And so I went to get the scan and they found something. Um, And that began a very long journey of trying to figure out what that something was. Um, And there was a lot of consensus among a lot of, or lack of consensus rather, among a lot of different doctors at some of the best hospitals. You know, I I was very lucky. I was at, when I was down here in the DC area, I was at MedStar and and at Johns Hopkins. But everybody who looked at it had no idea what it was. They knew it was very small. Most of them thought it had nothing to do with the fact that I was getting headaches. The um, people that did the MRI scans seemed to think that they were um, what are called gliomas, which are, it was a glioma, which is a, a glioma is a cancerous tumor. Um, but then the the neurologists and the doctors I looked at who looked at it 
looked at it and said, this is not a place in the brain where an adult gets a cancerous tumor. So then they thought, well, maybe that means you have cancer somewhere else in your body that where it's, you know, a young, because I'm 36 years old, right? So yeah. the idea that I would have a, a brain tumor in this part of the brain was like inconceivable to them. They were like, if you were 80 years old, like maybe that would make sense. Um, but that meant that I had to go through a bunch of months of cancer testing. So it's like, do I have skin cancer? Do I have Jesus. breast cancer? Do I have cancer somewhere yeah. else? You know, so that, I mean, really, um, it was not a fun period of time because it's like every single one of those scans is just insanely nerve wracking. And you're sitting there waiting for the results thinking yeah. like, is this going to change my life forever? Yeah. Um, but the reality was like, they all came back clean. Um, so, you know, I got to the point where we weren't really worried about it because the spot in your brain can also be any number of other things. It can be like a blood vessel, right? Um, it could be an inf inflammatory disease. It can be, I mean, there's just a million possibilities and it hadn't really changed at this point in how it looked. So they said, well, we'll just wait and we'll watch it. Um, so the watching then commenced and I sort of put it in the back of my brain. And that was, you know, when I decided that I was going to jump and take this new job and all this other stuff. And, you know, my husband and I were thinking about the future and like no longer panicked about a year, you know, facing a year of cancer treatment or whatever. But then I did one of those regular scans and um, it showed that it was growing. And so when we saw that it was growing, we knew that it was a tumor because that's the only thing that will act that way on a scan. All that other stuff will perform, yes, will act right. differently. So at that point, um, my, uh, my doctor here in Washington suggested I, and, and my, my father happens to work at the University of Pennsylvania um, by the sheer happiest of coincidences, the CEO of the Penn Medical System is actually a longtime family friend of ours. Right. Um, I grew up with his kids. So, you know, I called my dad who called our friend um, and he put me in touch with the head of neurosurgery at the University of Pennsylvania, which is one of the best places in the world um, to be treated for my, something like this. And he, of course, because it's my alma mater, but go on. <laughs> I didn't know you went to Penn, yeah, Donnie. How yeah. did I not know that about I you? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's, fa it's fabulous. I mean, you're so yeah. lucky you got to go there. Yeah, great place. Um, and, the, and the hospital is just incredible. Um, but actually, Dr. Yosher, who treated me there, he's the head of neurosurgery, was the first person to actually nail what I had. And, you know, we didn't know this until he actually went in there because there's literally no way to know. Right. But he looked at my scans and unlike all my other doctors, he was like, look, I, this is what I think you have. I think you have a benign brain tumor. It's something called a hemangioblastoma for you know, those listening out there who are um, in the medical field, it, it, it just basically is, it's non-cancerous. It's a blood vessel based tumor. Um, he said, and I think it's causing your symptoms. And if we take it out, you'll feel better. And it turns out he was right. So it was like, that's it was what's a so amazing surgery. when you're dealing with a life and death thing and doctors are telling you different things. I, I, that's got to be I, just so maddening. And, and we all know people who've gone through all kinds of health things. And it's, it's a science, but it's not a science. And you go to brilliant people and three different brilliant people tell you three different things. And it's, and it's your life. And it, it's a hard situation to be in. It was crazy. I mean, I went for six months not knowing what the hell it was. It, there was something growing in my head. I know what the hell it was. Right. And nobody could tell me. And then all of a sudden, this guy was like, yeah, so I'm pretty sure. He's like, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm like 90% sure this is what this is. Um, and he was like, and I think, you know, I would understand if you decided you didn't want to have surgery, but on balance, I think, you know, you'd probably have the surgery, you'd probably feel better. And, and I had one doctor, another doctor at an institution that shall remain nameless, but is very good, who said, no, you shouldn't have surgery. It's cancer, but you shouldn't have surgery because I, I, I might open your head and not be able to find it. And that would be bad. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that sounds Just, really bad. Please don't open my head and not find it. But, <laughs> but Dr. Yosher was like, yeah, no, it's going to be hard to find. It's only three millimeters, but that's my job. Right. I can handle it. 
And like, lo and behold, he did. It took him four hours. I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, heart surgeons are, or um, excuse me, neurosurgeons are the, the shock jocks of, of medicine. Um, and they're just so impressive and so incredibly um, fearless. I, you know, yeah. I think you have to be. Um, but, and I think, I think it was a, I don't know if he would admit that it was an intense surgery for him. Cause he was kind of like, yes, this is not the hardest surgery I've ever done, which right. I do believe. Right. Uh, but I also think like it took a lot of, um, a lot of time, a lot of focus and a lot of effort to find it, especially without like injuring a bunch of other brain tissue along I mean, the way. Did they, what really do they say to you as far as the risk going in? Okay, I'm going to do this and do they, here's worst case scenario. Well, I mean. Well, they don't do that. <laughs> they, they're very hesitant to do that. Yeah. Um, they will not, you know, they, they can't tell you that it's risk-free. I mean, in, a brain surgery holds the risk that any sur- I mean, any surgery any has surgery, the risk sure. of, I mean, you could die yeah. on the table, right? Yeah. Um, general anesthesia is a scary thing. You know, I spent a lot of time beforehand. Like, I mean, I spent the week before my surgery, just like scrambling with lawyers and, um, tax people and whatever right. to make sure that everything was set up for my son. Cause I was panicked about what might happen. Um, in this particular case, the biggest danger would have been that after the surgery, I would have started bleeding in that section of the brain. Right. Um, and it, it, it there's nowhere it was in, it's called my right the tumor was in my right cerebellum, which is like kind of the back right of your brain. It's the part of your brain that controls gross motor function. So right. like walking upstairs, you know, picking, picking things up with your hands, stuff like that. Um, so th- if you bleed there, there's no good place for the blood to go. So they're very worried about that yeah. um, in the beginning. Uh, and then they're also, you know, the good news was like, this wasn't anywhere near the things that I used to do my job. It wasn't near like speech, cognition, personality, like all of those functions of the brain were like in a different area from this tumor. Right. So that made me feel a lot less stressed out, I think. Now, there were concerns like, was I going to have trouble with my balance? Um, you know, because this was gross motor function, et cetera. Like, was I going to have to relearn like how to kind of go up the stairs without slipping? And I had a little bit of that after the surgery. Like your, um, people may not know this, but if you, you probably do if you have an elderly person in your life, like the iPhone will track your fall likelihood. It can tell like how stable you are wow. um, to warn relatives. You can actually look at it, look it up in your right. health app. And you can see in mine, if you go back and look at the data it collected in the period right after my surgery, you could see that I had suddenly an increased fall risk, but then like gradually went right. back down to normal like, how, as how I was, did my PT. And how stuff. long was the recovery? About eight weeks or so? Eight weeks for that part, like for the brain part. Right. And then they also had to cut through the muscles of my neck. So that took a little bit right. longer too. And you're 100%, so, you're great, you're fine. Yeah, I mean, I'd say 95%. I mean, I still get like, you know, a little bit. Although it's, it's honestly, it's better now. I don't sit under fluorescent lights. Um, things like like a few things that set off right. headaches that I probably right. didn't get before. But otherwise, yeah, I'm like completely back to well, myself. Thank, thank God, thank um, God. Before, it's wild. It's, it's And just any... For any time I ask anybody who's had a kind of a, a life and death situation or something like that, any any wisdom coming out of it um, beyond the obvious of enjoy every day? And I mean, I'm just curious, somebody, who, somebody who's gone through this, just, just lessons learned. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, it's just that I'm still, you know, I'm 36 years old and like the lessons may like are obvious in a way. Like, yes, treat every day like it's your last. Um, but I think, getting that lesson at the age I am was really meaningful for me. Um, I think it really sort of teaches you to put the right, to try to put the right things in the right order. It becomes very clear very quickly what really matters and what really doesn't matter. Um, And there's a lot, especially in the TV business, um, 
it's a lot of bullshit, yeah. you know, and you can get, you get really you tied get up, get in caught up in it. And then you get something like, like this and you realize, you look at your two-year-old son and you go, okay, this is, this is yeah. what it's all about. And your husband, and that's right. what it's all it's about. It's like, this is what matters. This is the only thing that matters. Like, yeah, my job's important because it lets me take care of him. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, um, so, you know, and, and my family was just like, you know, who, who are the people that you want to be there when you wake up from something sure. like this? Right. Like, that's all you think about. Um, and so I think having that perspective is like really, really, really helpful. Um, especially as I was embarking on something new where it's yeah. like, you know, who knows, right? Like I'm, I'm confident that I'm confident we're going to succeed, but like, if we don't, I'm actually going to be okay with it because I went through this, but right? Like will. I probably would have fallen apart if, if under those, under sure. different circumstances. Um, but this, I think really clarified for me, like, you know what? You can come back from a lot of things um, that you didn't realize you were strong enough to come back from. Final question I ask is everybody, you know, the whole premise of this show is that everybody and everything is a brand. And um, so what's, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the Casey Hunt brand? Well, Donnie, you helped me come up with it. Casey DC, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I talked Phil Griffin into it. I said, that's the greatest name I've ever heard of a show. So what's, if you were just going to characterize what your, your essence and, and what you're about. I don't know if I want to say like I'm the girl next door, but that's sort of the closest mm -hmm. I can come to it. You know, I uh, am someone who like there are a lot of things that are important to me, my faith, my family, my friends, baseball, <laughs> like that you would call like quintessentially American, Yeah, I guess. Um, and that's what I kind of want to bring to everything I do, to my journalism, to my friendships to my, you know, I want to be somebody that people can count on. Um, and I think that that sort of accessibility, relatability, empathy are, are the things that, you know, distinguish the way I go about doing my job and the way, like, if you're, if you want to think about it in terms of work, like the way you get your news from me, um, is as another human, you know, who lives next door and who understands what it is that you're worried about. I like that. Um, I like that. Good job. Good so job. That, I mean, that's how I try to frame my questions too. Like some of the, the newsiest, you know, some of the work that I've done that's popped the most, the questions that I've asked are the simplest, the easiest. I think about like, okay, what would a normal person who had an opportunity to ask this person a question? Yeah. Like it might be the most obvious question in the whole world, but for whatever reason, a lot of times journalists don't ask it. And yeah. I think that's a mistake. I hear you. Casey, the new, the new big, big show, The Source, streaming on Everybody Gets CNN Plus. <laughs> Right now, yes. um, it, it hits at 4 o'clock. 50% off for life. For 50% <laughs> off for life, but you can watch it all time. And I'm a huge Casey Hunt fan. Casey, thanks for being I know how busy oh, you are. I appreciate thanks, it. Donnie. I, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the chat. It's great to be with you. Thanks for listening to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. Uh, we love when you listen. You can listen anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. Please rate us and review us and subscribe. And you can watch our videos on YouTube and please subscribe and also leave your comments on YouTube on YouTube for our videos there. That's our week. Stay safe. We'll see you next week on On Brand. Well, you listen to us next week on On Brand. Either way. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject and then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review. I Don't Know About That with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.